Blog Talk Radio. my friends. The opening music was by Save Vocal Group from the CD Native Angels by Save. If you want to order a copy, go to Save.org and uh, they're on Facebook and they also do live shows. You can also listen to them for free on YouTube and they also have a CD that I found on Amazon. So that's Save and the, the CD is Native Angels. I'm your host and friend, Reverend Sharma McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to Sacred Sunday. 
Sacred Sunday was created just to focus on the tenet that Sunday is a day to set aside some time for spiritual focus, meditation, and prayer. All faiths are welcome. I'm a Christian in recovery, and all Bible readings will be out of the Ryrie Study Bible, and you may use any Bible you wish. I have had many spiritual experiences, and in gratitude, I'm doing this service by doing every Sunday morning Bible study readings. And we um, have we also read out of the guideposts and other things that I like to read out of. And uh, just a, just 30 minutes every Sunday morning is uh, the least we can give for how much God does for us. And I'm just focused on being my real self and carrying the message given to me. Today I would like to ask you to keep your prayers and thoughts for my coworker and her family. And keep please keep them in your prayers. Their daughter was one of the most killed in the San Bernardino shootings. And we pray for Sierra Claiborne and her family in the middle of this, this horrible tragedy and all for all the other families. And we're just so sorry this happened. And uh, we know that Sierra went to a better place, but it's still hard for those left behind. So God bless Sierra, her family, my coworker, her husband, and uh, all the people that lost uh, so much that day. God bless you all. The call in number uh, for any requests this morning is 619-924-9744. And Sacred Sunday airs every Sunday, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Now let's say our opening prayer together as we bow our heads. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we pray for all the Christians being persecuted worldwide. Their freedom to worship in lives are in jeopardy. Those whose lives are taken for distorted or evil reasons, and they have become martyrs, that's what we believe. We pray for all those suffering from violence here at home and abroad. How ironic that we say this prayer every Sunday morning, and this is just how close it has gotten home. We pray for people suffering from domestic violence in their own homes and freedom from addiction of all kinds. Please, God, forgive us our sins. Please, God, send us your mighty Archangel Michael to fight against evil and protect them and all your angels to watch over everyone. Our prayers also go out to those who suffer in the world who can't speak for themselves, including the animals. Please, God, have mercy. We pray for the wisdom of our president and the rest of our policymakers that they may have decisions to make, and we are praying for all the countries for problems of suffering worldwide. Thank you, amen, God. Thank you. We also ask Jesus to bless us and help us grow under his care. Everyone and their families are in our prayers. Now, I'd also like to wish everybody that has a birthday this morning, happy birthday, happy birthday, or uh, a milestone or certificates or anniversaries. We wish you all the best and keep prospering and never give up. And happy blessed birthday and anniversaries. Thank you very much. And uh, if you have a special prayer request this morning, please feel free to call in at 619-924-9744. Now, I do read out of the Briary Study Bible, and it's a Bible that I actually found on the street, and I've been using it ever since. Now I'm on my second copy, as the first copies wore out. But I do want to ask you if you could please uh, go to www.biblia.com if you don't have a Bible there. 
So uh, this morning we're on Galatians uh, chapter 3, and uh, it's all about Paul still writing letters to the Galatians, and uh, some things must have happened because Paul has been very angry and he's writing these letters. Uh, And it's about, um, we're on 3 today, but as you remember, when we were reading 2, Paul was, you know, keep keep reviewing uh, and trying to prove himself to the Galatians that he is, a lead apostle, they should listen to him, and uh, he said that, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you're Greek or uncircumcised or whatever, it can't keep you from God, and that people should quit arguing over these little details when Jesus released us from the law, and just having faith in him, and, uh, you know, at one point in chapter 2, Paul was saying he might be a Jew by birth, but he knows that simply obeying Jewish law can never make a person right with God. And only faith in Jesus can do that. So as Christians, you know, that's the commitment we have made, that Jesus is our Savior and that he died on the cross for our sins and that we follow his His new law. He made the law alive and the belief alive and that we believe in God and Jesus directly and the Holy Spirit and uh, for me, all the saints and everybody else. So uh, so let's read the summary for today's uh, Paul fought the law, and the law lost. Anyway, so I'm going to read you a little summary, and this is by Schmoop, www.schmoop.com, and that's where you can find this part. Um, I hesitate a little bit because, uh, you know, I'm on the computer right now and uh, doing the broadcast, so... Sometimes these little things are slow. Anyway, Paul fought the law. Paul's getting madder by the minute. He calls the Galatians foolish and starts in with a a rhetorical tantrum. Haven't these guys seen that Jesus was crucified? Seen in the form of Paul's preaching, that is. And how do they think they got the Holy Spirit? Did they painstakingly read and follow the Torah? Or did they accept the truth of the gospel that Paul told them about? Hint, it's in the gospel. The Galatians start out as people in the spirit, but now they're worried about their physical bodies. Well, you know, the frustration of it all. And then this makes no sense. Why would God pour his spirit on them in the first place just to have them go back and start following the law? Look, way back in Genesis, Abraham simply put his faith in God. God, who was cool with that and promised that everyone who believed in him would be blessed. This was way before the law. So, obviously, this proves that the people don't need the law to get on God's good side. Basically, Paul is saying that the law is like a curse hanging over our heads. When Jesus died, he took that curse away. Now, we can just live for God and not worry about what we eat or if we're sacrificing the lamb in the right way. It's kind of like when someone finalizes their will, that means it's set in stone and can't be changed. Same thing goes for God. God promised that Abraham's offspring would be cool with him if they had faith. The law came that way after this, like 430 years after Abraham, to be exact. And the law can't change God's initial promise. And then, uh, okay, so when was the, what was the point of the law? Seriously, those Torah books are thick. So was God just wasting our time with all those laws about sacrificing goats and stuff? Here's Paul's answer. No, the law was kind of a placeholder until Jesus could come. And now he's here. So no, so bacon bars for everyone. They just couldn't hear anyway. The law isn't in conflict with God's promises either. It's basically just a way of keeping us in check until Jesus would come. You know how crazy we humans like to get it sometimes. Before Jesus, the law was like 
a police officer monitoring our bad behavior and punishing us for it, except the jail cells look a lot more like angry mobs holding stones. But now Jesus is here, and everyone who has faith has him in his heart or her heart. So what we use is the law of if God is part of every what uses the law if God is part of every single believer. In Jesus, there are no more labels or categories, no Jews, Gentiles, no slaves, no free people, no men and no women, just believers. All believers are one to the power of Jesus. And anyone who believes gets a share of a promise God made to Abraham. No obeying the law required. It's just as simple as that. So that's the the whole thing of this uh, morning's reading. So open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Now, in Jason, Galatians chapter 3, it starts with justification by faith explained, Paul's gospel. The argument from experience. Okay, here we go. You foolish Galatians, who, was, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? True. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Argument from Abraham. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are from faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture for for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all nations will be blessed in you. And then those who are of faith blessed with Abraham, the believer. The argument was from the law. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now, we're at, for those tuning in right now, we're at Galatians 3, uh, we're at verse 11. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith, on the contrary. He who practices them shall live by them. And Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a, a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. For in order that the, in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I think in terms of the human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to the seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying to you is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions being have been ordained through the angels by agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not the only one party only, whereas God is only one. 
It is the law that contrary to the promises of God, may it never be. For if the law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. But the scripture is shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we kept in custody under the law, being shut up in the faith, which is later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now the faith has come. We are no longer under a tutor, for you are all the sons of God through the faith through Christ Jesus. And for all of you who baptize into Christ to have clothed yourself with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free man. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Now, that phrase there is the law. This is the, our new covenant, rather. Let me say it again. There is neither Jew nor Greek, nor neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are one of Abraham's descendants. Heirs according to the promise. But let's go back and read the notes in this Ryrie that Mr. Ryrie wrote. Okay, so chapter 1 through 2. To return to the law and negate the necessity of the death of Christ was to act as if bewitched. Works in the law cannot be given to them, them, not give them the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't matter how hard you work, you're still not going to earn the Holy Spirit. Paul brought the gospel to them, the Spirit worked in them. Yet now they were reverting back to flesh works in the hope that a combination of faith, spirit, and works, flesh, will be, work more easily or better. You know, we're human. That's human nature. And then we do keep trying to earn. And it's given by grace. And that's what we learn from the Bible. Some of these miracles are recorded in Acts, but they were not done by the law. Paul now appealed to Scripture to show that the patriarch Abraham dependent on faith for righteousness. Remember, Abraham was before the law, and he was acting in grace and on a promise from God. So Abraham's physical descendants through Isaac and Jacob are Jewish people, but his spiritual descendants are those who believe in God for salvation. Men and women of faith is contrasted with men and women of works when men or men being circumcised. And having shattered the Jews' confidence in their physical relation to Abraham, Paul now shows the law brings a curse. Yes, because we'll constantly condemn ourselves. He quotes Deuteronomy. He argues that man cannot possibly keep all the laws, hence his bondage. And then 3.11, the righteous man shall live by faith. Paul's use of this quotation uh, is to stress that one can become justified in God's sight only by faith, and he is righteous by faith rather than works, shall live. And then he's saying again in 3.13, the law brings a curse. The believer is delivered from that curse through Christ, who became a curse for us, meaning the crucifixion brought him under the curse of the law, as explained from the last half of the verse. And then, of course, uh, he died for our sins, and he freed us from that. And then 3.16, the argument here is based on the singular form of the word in the Old Testament. He must have believed in the accuracy of the very words of the Scripture. Then 317, the Mosaic law did not set aside the promises made to Abraham. And in during those hundreds of years before the law, God had also justified men only by faith. On the 430-year period, uh, he said, uh, that takes notes, it's all in Exodus 12, 40, if you want to look that up. 
and now we're at 319, the house of, because of transgressions, to make sins known and to restrain them, the law mediated through angels and Moses, whereas the covenant of Abraham was given directly by God. And uh, the presence of the mediator assumes two parties. The need of a mediator shows the inferiority of the law. So God, the one directly from the God, the promise from God, is what we as Christians are all under. The law shows the world to be under sin so that the, that people will realize that works cannot save, but only Christ can. And then tutor, the Greek word used here means not a teacher, but an attendant or custodian or guardian. Usually a slave whose job it was to accompany the child, train him, and discipline him. The law was such a disciplinarian until Christ the teacher came. He was the real teacher. Sons of God, full adults and heirs because of the adoption to God's family. And 327, baptized into Christ. Not water baptism, but spirit baptism, which brings believers, deliver, believers into a living union with Christ. And have clothed yourself in Christ. Responsible act of appropriation until all that Jesus Christ is. And then 328, the unity of the body of Christ, differences of race, status, gender, lose their significance. Spiritual position is not the same, it is the same for all, but that does not mean the distinction ceases to exist, nor that all have the same functions within the body. And then finally, 329, Christ is the seed of Abraham. Being in Christ makes the believer a descendant of Abraham, heir to the promise of the justification by faith. National promises made to Abraham as a father of Jewish people are not in view with this verse, only with the universal promise. So we are all descendants from Abraham due to Christ Jesus. And that was a very enlightening chapter, and I thank you very much. And then next week we're going to go on to Galatians chapter 4. I think if we weren't doing this Bible study, we would have really overlooked these little chapters very simply. Because the little letters, they don't mean much. But we never find out today, it means a lot. Anyway, so let's go to, uh, we're going to read out of our guidepost, and I did pick a story here, and it's called The Unseen Visitor. And it's by Lori White from Hickory, North Carolina. <sighs> Take a little breath here. Be careful. I called over my shoulder to, from the bedroom as my two sons, Jordan 5 and Hunter 3, made a beeline outside to play in the yard. It was Friday afternoon and we were moving that weekend from Conover, North Carolina, down the roadways to Hickory. My husband, Chan, had just pushed into the driveway towing a rugged metal trailer that he had brought home from our family car dealership to haul some boxes and small pieces of furniture. The house and the yard were in complete disarray, and the boys were having a blast poking around. But just as my friend Joyce and I started cleaning out the closet, a sickening thud reverberated through the house. What in the world? I started to say to Joyce. And an instant later, I heard Chan shout a voice pinched in panic, Lori, Lori, come quick. I ran downstairs the front hall where I saw Chan, ashen-faced, holding a limp, unrecognizable figure of a little boy covered in blood. Blood streamed from his mouth, his ears, and a terrible gash in his head. The trailer ramp, Chan stammered, slammed down on him when I wasn't looking. Oh, dear God, the boy even wore green tennis shoes. It was Jordan. Lori, we've got to get him to a doctor. I snatched a blanket off the sofa and we wrapped it around his unconscious form. Joey stayed behind to watch Hunter as Chan and I leapt into our car. I gunned the engine in the 
the car roared out of the driveway. Chan grabbed the cellular phone and called 911 to have them alert our local hospital that we were coming. Bed down the road, we exchanged frantic glances and we tried to soothe Jordan. Chan tells him over and over again how much we loved him. At the emergency room attendant scooped Jordan from Chan's arms. We watched helplessly while the medical personnel worked over our boy. Just minutes before, he had been an exuberant child. Chan wrapped his arms around me, and I buried my face in his shoulder. The doctor glanced over at us. We need to transfer him to Fry, he snapped. They, better, they are better equipped. Equipped for what, I wondered. My whole being was churning with fear. Chan and I waited in their treatment room with Jordan and a nurse for ambulance to Fry Regional Medical Center across town. As Chan signed some documents, I stood over Jordan. I told him no matter what happened, his daddy and I loved him and that we were praying. Suddenly, Jordan moved. At first, I thought it was my imagination, but Chan and the nurse saw it too. Then slowly, almost eerily, Jordan raised up to nearly a sitting position as if someone were gently supporting him with an arm behind his back. His soot-black ashes fluttered open, and in a weak but clear voice, he said, Jesus, take care of me. His eyes closed peacefully, and he sank back down, motionless once again. The nurse looked at us in bewildering disbelief. He, Chan half stood, and a cry gathered in my throat. We had taken our boys to church and taught them to pray, but usually said their prayers at the table at bedtime. Here was Jordan, reaching out in the moment of terrible, desperate need. I, too, would have to reach out such such sure faith. Just then, the curtain slipped back, and Jordan, Chan, and I were rushed to the waiting ambulance. The evening dissolved in a blur. At Fry, Jordan was wheeled in straight for the CAT scan of his brain. Chan's parents, Steve and Jane White, were at our side, as were, as, as were mine, Keith and Paula Turner. Other family and friends had gotten word of, and, and were, had come, and minister, Reverend John Meisenheimer, and, and then people from church gathered in the emergency room. We were surrounded by folks who loved us and prayed with us, yet Chan and I didn't know whether our little boy would live. Finally, Dr. Gregory Rosenfeld, a neurosurgeon, spoke with us, and x-rays revealed that Jordan's skull had been fractured by the heavy trailer gate, crushing fragments of bone into the area of the brain that governs speech, hearing, and memory. There's no telling the extent of the damage, Dr. Rosenfeld explained, until we go in and look. And it was only fair, he said, to warn us that the injury is very serious. As Jordan was sped to surgery, I broke down and sobbed. The people who, ga- who gathered held hands in prayer, and we prayed that surgeons' skilled hands would be blessed and guided. The love of our friends and family flowed through Chan and me, and an incredible, almost spontaneous feeling of peace and acceptance overpowered our fears. Six hours later, Dr. Rosenfeld emerged and, pulling down his surgical mask, motioned, mask, motioned for us down to the hall to a room and opened the door. Come say hello, Jordan. Chan and I moved to Jordan's side, bedside. He was pale, and his head was swathed in turban of bandages. I reached out to him, oh, Jordan. It was then I heard the sweetest sound in my life. A tiny burp erupted from my son, followed by a whisper. Excuse me. Not only could Jordan speak, but he still had his manners. By the time they sent him up to the neuro-intensive care unit, he was asking the nurse for a toothbrush. The doctors didn't don't know what to think about this boy, she said. Still, we were warned that Jordan wouldn't have taken a turn for worse at any time and that seizures was a serious possibility 
with such an invasive head trauma. Most worrisome, though, was the fear that his brain might develop an infection. Ahead of Jordan lay a series of interventions and antibiotic treatments to fight this potentially fatal complication. We were cautioned the sessions would be painful for Jordan. I stayed at Jordan's side all night but could not sleep. Once during the morning, Jordan moaned with nausea and everyone came rushing. I held him and he said, Mommy, pray with me. And over those next few days, anytime he was frightened of suffering, he said, Mommy, Daddy, come pray with me. That was the beginning of a spiritual journey with Jordan as my guide. The stronger his faith was, the stronger mine became. Eventually, Jordan was moved from the ICU to the pediatric wing, where the staff was eager to finally meet this miracle boy. Shortly after his arrival, a new therapist pulled me aside. This is white, the young woman said. We need to plan your son's treatment, and it's a lot of work to be done. Confuse us, and I don't understand. She checked her chart. Isn't your boy the one with the depressed skull fracture? Yes, but he just got up and walked to the bathroom, and he's been talking nonstop all day, and he's building a house with Legos. That's incredible, the therapist replied and went to see for herself. The technician had done Jordan's initial CAT scan had stopped by, and I felt so sorry for you that night, she told Chan and me. I never thought you'd get your boy back as this well or this quickly. I wasn't sure you'd get him back at all. I had never seen anything like it. In fact, the only thing keeping Jordan hostile was an intravenous antibiotic treatments, a harrowing twice-daily ordeal that took 30 minutes for the burning, powerful medicine to be completely transfused into Jordan's body. Every time, Jordan wailed out in pain and he begged, pray for me, Mommy, pray. And I would as hard as I knew how, poor Chan. For a while, he couldn't stand to be in the room. The ordeal exhausted me, too, and one night before the next treatment, while Jordan was sleeping, I felt as if I couldn't possibly endure another minute. Then I knew he was counting on me. Kneeling by Jordan's bed, I buried my face in his blanket. Lord, I pleaded quietly, all I can do is trust you the way that Jordan trusts you. Please protect Jordan from the pain. The door opened quietly behind me as I got up and lay down on the bed beside Jordan, and I wrapped my arms around him. And when the nurse shifted his arm to put the IV in, he started to move. I patted him and whispered, it's okay, Mommy's here, Mommy's praying, and he closed his eyes again. The nurse stood by ready to help when the burning and crying started. The room was still and dark and hushed. Drip by drip, the medicine entered Jordan's vein. Ten minutes, twenty, twenty minutes passed, and it was over. Not once did my little boy stir. The doctors were able to release Jordan only after ten days in the hospital. There was no sign of infection, and we brought him home in complete recovery. He is continuing to heal with only some loss of hearing in his right ear. For a time, Jordan didn't remember anything about the accident, but then one day, while he was playing with a toy truck, he remembered suddenly, I pulled the pin out. That's what made the trailer ramp fall on me. I stopped what I was doing, and he said it really hurt, and he went on, but then Jesus came. I tried to sound calm, but what did Jesus look like, honey? He was just all white. Then Daddy came and lifted the ramp off my head, the gate had weighed nearly 300 pounds, and as Chan had said many times, that he was amazed he'd been able to raise it so easily. Jesus came to see me when we got to the hospital, too, Jordan continued. His delicate features were set in expression of deep, unperturbed seriousness. A feeling tingled up my back. He lifted me up, hugged me, and said, Jordan, you're going to be okay now. My mind flew back to the moment in the treatment room, waiting for the ambulance to go to Fry when... 
Jordan mysteriously rose up as if cradled by an unseen visitor and spoke. Had he really seen someone that instant, someone only a hurt little child could see? I knelt and wrapped my arms around Jordan, and as I did, I could sense an, another set of arms enfolding both both. The arms that are always close when we were both, most in need. Wow. I want to thank you, everybody, for listening this morning. God bless you. Keep everybody in your thoughts. Let's celebrate our successes together. Let's cry together. Let's pray together. And in sharing, we double our happiness. And in sharing, we half our pain. And I want to God bless you all. Love you all very much. And our closing prayer is, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. I want to thank you for joining Sacred Sunday. Please come back next week and bring your friends because we're going to go on to Chapter 4 of Galatians. And in closing, may God bless and keep you in his loving arms that you may have the strength to face whatever is ahead. Remember, you're never alone. I love you. May your best dreams come true, and true love live in your heart. God bless you all. Bye-bye, my friends, and happy trails to you. Amen.